0: Welcome to the Conscious Culture Café, the podcast that explores how you can lean into your purpose, live your values, and enhance your social impact through your work. I'm your host, Kathy Miller Perkins. Welcome, friends. So, you and I know that many business leaders over the past year have made bold statements about their commitments to sustainability and social justice. Yet, what I want to know is where is the plan? And when will we see actions to support their words? My guests today work with a company that set audacious goals many years ago, both environmental and social sustainability goals. And they developed a plan to achieve those goals, and they continue to up the ante. Clothing brand Eileen Fisher and Eileen Fisher herself have kept their commitments and it all started at a Buddhist retreat where the company brought the system in the room. With us today are two women who are going to talk about bringing the system in the room. These two women have been instrumental in the process of assisting the Eileen Fisher brand in their ongoing quest to make business a movement. They have stories to tell and advice to offer to help you with your own sustainability journey. First, meet Sarah Schley, the co-creator of B Corp Seed Systems, where she designs, facilitates, and coaches to help individuals and businesses change from the inside out. Second, meet Amy Hall. Amy is the former vice president and now advisor of social consciousness at Eileen Fisher. Amy also has a consulting company, Impactorium, where she helps individuals have greater social and environmental impact through their work. Let's get started. Amy, let's start with you. Where did all of this start? How did Eileen Fisher become so committed to business as a movement?
1: So just a a quick, you know, context setting, when the company was founded back in 1984, so that was 37 years ago, Eileen did have a really clear commitment at that time to natural fibers Mm -hmm. and timeless design. And she didn't think of them at that time as kind of sustainability attributes, but they have come to be known as such over the years. And I joined the company 10 years in. So now I've been with the company for over 27 years. And I'd say for the first 10 or 15 years of my time with the company, we were really just experimenting with different things. Anything that seemed to appeal to us, we were still small and and very flexible and adaptable. So um, we were trying, you know, one season we would try wool that wasn't dyed or another season we might try cotton that grows in colors. But this was never with a grand kind of strategic effort behind it. And then our real first step into this was actually on the human rights side. So that was the first time we started thinking about our supply chain in any kind of systemic way was was because of the people issue. That people were really Eileen's first kind of conscious commitment, both for employees and then eventually for supply chain. So I would say that this kind of new switch turned when Eileen took a supply chain trip back in around 2012, now, So we had already been in business for a number of years mm-hmm. and that's when she came back, you know, she had spoken to some suppliers along the way. She started learning about how global issues were impacting individual suppliers in our own supply chain, water in particular. Yeah. She'd never thought about water from the perspective of a supplier or from the perspective of an Eileen Fisher product. Mm-hmm. And that's when she came back and came came back all fired up.
0: Oh, Really? 2012, lots happened since 2012.
2: And so how did you get involved, Sarah? Well, lucky for me, actually, it was pretty much right after Eileen came back from China that Amy happened to join a a webinar podcast I was doing at the time on leadership from the inside out. And it turns out, unbeknownst to me, Amy and I had met briefly, or she had come to a business for sustainability conference we'd done many years earlier. At Ford Motor Company, with um, Henry's great grandson at at the helm at that point, so we had had a a brief contact, but it wasn't until Amy came to the webinar, and then I looked at the list of folks on the webinar. I'm like, oh, I love Eileen Fisher. I mean, my mother had given me Eileen's clothes, you know, back in the early '80s when I got out of college, and she thought my wardrobe was pretty pathetic. So I'd been, (laughs) I like to say, a poster child for Eileen Fisher ever since. I loved her clothes, but then I had met her. I'd seen her on stage a few years prior at a Women and Power conference, and I was just so moved and impressed by who she is as a human being, as so many people are who meet her. Just her, uh, how genuine she is, her humility, um, her kindness, and she had funded a bunch of youth women from around the world to come to this particular conference, and I just thought that was really moving that she did that. So anyway, I had Eileen Fisher sort of on my radar screen. Uh-huh. And then when Amy came to the webinar, I was like, okay, I need to talk to them. <laughs> so yeah, really? He had a conversation, and Amy invited me to meet her colleagues, right, Amy? Later that year, it was in December of 12, 2012, I remember.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right, going right into 2013. 2013 was the year things started to fall into place. We started to form a plan together with Sarah, and that's how the rest of the story unfolds.
0: So, Sarah, you were involved from the beginning of the, the plan, the planning process, then.
2: I think, I mean, as Amy said, they were already underway under Amy's brilliant leadership and more in the social domain. But Eileen Fisher had herself had just gotten this you know passion for water and looking at other environmental issues. And so I think I kind of came into the stream, so to speak, right at the beginning of that, let's bump it up a notch. Eileen really wants to accelerate our progress. And right. Amy had said, I remember you said to me, Amy, we'll get there without you, but I think we'll get there faster with you which okay. was lovely.
0: So how did the two of you work together in terms of this visioning process? What was that like? Amy, how, what was your role in this?
1: Well, Sarah's particular skill set, aside from, in addition to being just a fabulous human being and very aligned with us philosophically, is that she's a systems thinking expert. Yeah. And when we invited her in to meet a few of the senior leaders in the company and make sure that there was chemistry, that's really important to us at Island Fisher do we kind of see eye to eye? Do we enjoy being with each other? Is this new person entering our group? You know, Does she kind of fit in? And we definitely saw that right from the beginning. So we started talking about what would it take right, to move this big ship? I think at the time, we were probably about 800 employees, something like that. We've grown a bit since then. But And, you know, the book, The Tipping Point had come out recently right before that. And so we kind of had this idea about, you know, 10% takes about 10% to within a population to kind of shift behaviors or shift, you know, culture. And so we were thinking, what does that mean inside our company? And Sarah said, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to get the system in the room. And then we were like, oh, what's that? And what system, you know, how do we even think about a system within this company? And she helped us think through what the right system would be. And for us, we knew it's our product. And it's true from pretty much any company that makes a product. It's our product where the biggest impact is, negative impact. So we had to get the system of the product in the room. So we thought about the designers, the people who sell, the people who merchandise, people who, of course, the people involved in the making of the product, Or you know supply chain people and production people and then my team which is social consciousness and eileen or her team so kind of that whole system can we do it had we we had never brought all these people together what would that look like what's the ideal you know um, environment to bringing them in to bring them into and sarah helped us um, think through all of that oh and i should also mention I had a very important key partner in the company to work with me on this. It was somebody who sat on the senior leadership team. Her name is Candice. And she and I were really kind of established as co-facilitators of this work on the inside of the company, working together with Sarah. And I think that was really important. Somebody she held the creative teams. I held the kind of sustainability side of things. And together, we worked um, on this with Sarah. That's great. Yeah.
0: So Sarah... So, you were the facilitator of this process. Tell, tell us about the process a little
1: bit.
2: Okay, sure. Well, by the time that I, uh, you know, Amy and I reconnected in 2012 13, I had been working in systems thinking and sustainability, creating sustainability strategies for business for about 20 years at that point. So, I'd had a book out on it and I had uh facilitated a consortium of Fortune 500 companies for a decade. And so I had a lot of mistakes under my belt, so to speak. Um, I had done a lot of projects that had uh, failed, some that had been pretty good, you know, Nike and others. But I had a sense at that point of what I thought. Might be effective. And it turns out, you know, Eileen Fisher, because of all the good qualities we've been mentioning, Amy and Candace, Eileen, the culture, there was just really uh, fertile soil, if you will, for the work that we were about to embark on. The methodology, I guess, just to kick it off to, to be in where Amy was, was that the notion is that you can't change any complex issue in isolation and silos, right? Any complex issue is going to require the system to make change happen. And so when, you know, I'd learned over the years that the the very well-intentioned, brilliant heads of sustainability or corporate social responsibility didn't really have the leverage to get much done in the companies, right? They really need to be able to partner with people like for manufacturing, design, et cetera, like Amy said. So if you wanted to reduce your carbon footprint, it wasn't going to be enough for some Somebody from social consciousness to say, you know, can we change the light bulbs? It's really going to involve changing the whole business plan, the whole business model.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've and I've seen A lot care. of
2: companies that just wanted to change the light bulbs. It doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah, work right. over and over. It's in, and with systems thinking, you see that they're repeating patterns in human systems and they're repeating patterns in companies and over and over because you see the same thing, you know, really well intentioned and brilliant powerful thinkers in uh, corporate sustainability who really could get not get very far. So to have that more paradigm shift, quantum change system in the room. So what does that mean? As Amy said, think about the product from concept to closet and back again, you know, is also a circular system and who would that take? All right, we need to get the vice president of design, of manufacturing, of business planning, of, um, you know, later the marketing folks got there. Uh, take back. So if we could get those leaders in the room and have them think about um, not only a problem, but first start with the vision. Yes. Right. Okay, so that's, that's what I always do. You know, right. it's kind of the secret sauce and it's not just me. It's a lot of my colleagues who come from the same cloth, but it's um, we always start with, you know, what do you want to create? Yeah. You know, what's the most audacious thing you could do? Yeah, Kennedy said man on the moon by the end of the decade, it was never going to happen. It happened. So I really want to start with vision. And we do that through like, uh, we actually did an embodied thing in nature, where they went out in nature and spent some time out there. Oh, Um, I'd
0: love to hear some funny
2: stories. (laughs) I just envisioned that in my head. I just envisioned these people with heels going out <laughs> exactly. exactly I know and it takes a little chutzpah if you will to get them to go out there but, it um, did. so Amy was game and Candace and they're like all right I said look just give me three days back to back in off-site in the woods somewhere and we'll do vision the first day we'll be systems thinking and leverage the second day we'll do action accountabilities the third day and if we haven't fallen in love by then we'll say goodbye and if we have Bye. we're going to be in it for the long haul. <laughs> right. And at that point, I really don't know what the outcome's going to be. But um, but thankfully, back in the day, you know, Amy was like, OK, Amy and Candace said, let's do it, you know, and you. they were willing to take the time. Uh-huh. So let me just take a breath and just say from Amy, from your perspective, what was that
1: invitation like and what were you thinking? Yeah, please. Well, well I just want to say that up to this point, I mentioned, you know, I've been with the company now. Um, well, at that point, um, gosh, about, I don't know, 17 18 years something like that and my team had always been working kind of on its own chugging along trying to draw people in as we could but um again never based on a grand master plan and so the fact that sarah was talking about bringing these diverse people together we were just so excited and um you know, we, I'm already a kind of a nature person. So the idea of starting in nature made total sense to me, but I was a little skeptical, frankly, (laughs) you know, I wasn't sure if by the end of three days, we could turn some of these people around who, in my experience, had been really staunch supporters, had firm stakes in the ground around their belief system, around what we should be doing with the product. This is prior to the system thinking, you know, conversation. And it had been real we had had some very challenging conversations in the prior years around that illustrated how you know my team's vision and their connect, their vision for the product, we're kind of not you know we're at odds with each other. So I was hopeful but a little bit guarded, but at the same time really grateful that everybody we invited, Said yes, and that was the key. And they all showed up too. And there was no alcohol served at this place. Water designer named Julie Rubiner actually found this place, and it turns out it's a Buddhist retreat center that was
2: that was owned by Samsung, the Japanese technology company of all people, Uh or Korean, I'm not sure. But at any rate, it was this gorgeous place in the Catskills, beautiful views of the mountains, two hours up the Hudson for Eileen Fisher folks in the city to jump on the train, and they were willing to say yes to the invitation, but also requested people to leave their electronics behind. Really? No phone, you know?
0: no passed nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah,
2: I mean, now it's eight years ago, you could do it. It seems even harder to do it now, but people yeah, are willing. Right. you know, we said, tell people, you know, have the folks who are your key contacts, your family, your kids, let them know you're out of touch for a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> and then people were game, you know, but the thing about doing it that way is they're, is they're really engaged.
0: Yeah. Oh, Um, I'm sure. But you sent uh,
2: them out. You sent them out.
0: What did you do at the beginning? How did you How did you kick this off? We kicked it
2: off. Okay. So, um, so here's what we did. First, uh, my my partner in crime, Mira, and I had had reconnaissance. If that's a verb, the place, and um, we knew that there were some. We wanted locations in the woods that people could spend some time alone. So, why did we want to do that? Uh, this is a piece around environmental and social sustainability around our big vision for the planet. We wanted people to have like an embodied experience of that to help them remember, you know, the time they were a little kid and, you know, went fishing or something or, you know, when was the last time they had time in the woods. And we also wanted it to be accessible, not too scary. So it was going to be like one hour mm-hmm. alone with your journal and a pen and a glass and a, and a <laughs> bottle of water. <laughs> and that was going to be a lot, you know, for people yeah, in the city, who that. haven't done this for a while. Yeah. But we took them out one by one and we set them down. We start off with a Mary Oliver poem. And, um, you know, I think it, it was around your uh, wild, what the wild geese do, you know, we can uh-huh. quote the poem later. And folks went out into the woods. And I have to say that the the, the funny story I wanted to tell you earlier that Amy may remember is there's this one woman. Uh, her name is Danielle, beautiful you know, mother of two from the city, brilliant um, uh, business planning team, I think. And she was like, there's no way I'm going out there. Pretty much. <laughs> she, she said, you know, <laughs> I am not doing this. She's looking really stylish. And um, but then she then she she was willing. She accepted the idea yeah. and she kind of went out there really resistant. And then at one point when she came back telling the story, laughing, literally an acorn fell in her head. A four. <laughs> <laughs> the acorn hiding, Newton's acorn, and she said, I realize it means it's time for you to wake up to this process. Oh, that's great. Um, so that, that was fun. That's great. That's and we great all laughed.
1: And not, was. and, and just let me add that later on, it was revealed that Danielle, you know, what the kind of um, transformation that happened for her during the three day period was she was reflecting on her children who were very young at the time. And really. Deeply concerned about the future, the world, planet of their future, and what kind of world were they going to grow up into, mm-hmm. and that became a major, um, you know, incentive for her to ah. um, to consider the possibilities for the company and what we could do for this planet.
0: So it sounds like there are some personal turning points in addition to company-wide turning points. Yes, yes. Uh, partly yes. started with the retreat, but probably ongoing, I would think.
2: Yeah, I think the retreat was a big deal for a lot of people. I mean, they, they, it is a place you're immersed in nature. You're you're right. having this um, powerful experience with your colleagues. There was one, that, the woman I mentioned who had found the place, she wrote a br- beautiful essay, which Amy and I uh, excerpted with her permission, this article wrote, um, where she said like there was just a moment where she got that this was a paradigm shift for her and her career. Like this, she was going to be all in now. Really? You know, and, uh-huh. and hadn't been before.
0: What happened to bring that about, do you think?
1: I, I think what happened for a lot of people was on day two. Well, at the toward the end of day one, we were gathering together after the, this embodied experience out in nature. And then we were yeah. coming together and we did a series of visioning exercises where we were in sm- like first on our own and then in small groups. And we were thinking about the future that we envisioned, you know, for um, just on the planet. But anyway, the point is, you know, at certain points we were visioning, what's what's the future we, we imagine just for ourselves on this planet and then, you know, in general for the for the planet and then what's the role of the company in helping to bridge that gap. But there was a point in there where we came together, created a shared vision. And I would just say that it was a series of exercises that went through all of these different versions that caused each of us to have a moment where we were like, huh, Really? You you know, like once you know it and once you think about it, you can't turn back. You can't say, I think that today, but tomorrow I'm going to go back to, you know, throwing all my plastic bags away. Um, It just doesn't happen like that. You go through an actual kind of physical change in your body.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that must've been an amazing experience for everybody. So
2: is this all women? Is it all women or were there? Well, turns out it was just by coincidence. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I have to say again, I've been a lot of corporate offsites at that point. And when they walked in, I was like, OMG. <laughs> <laughs> vice president of manufacturing, vice president of design, vice president of business modeling, you know, uh, planning. All these folks who you typically might have a, a preconceived notion would tend to be the other gender yeah showed up as women. So I think it still would have worked if there had been men there. But one of the other key things was that Eileen was there oh, as founder and CEO. And she came, she said later that she came planning to come for an hour and she stayed for three days. She stayed wow, for She day.
0: was that impressed. It was She that, was
2: moved. Yeah. Helpful. And she went with it. And that, of course, her presence as the, as the founder and leader of the company spoke volumes and she was all in on the exercises and all in, on the process, like any other participant. Uh-huh. So that was powerful too. But you know, back to you know Julie's transformation or others. I think, like Amy said, it's sort of it's a it's a you're on this journey. You're out in nature. Then you're doing a huge visioning, like where I want to be at the end of my life. I think we did the end of our lives. Oh, and What's like the legacy? Thinking. Yeah, no, I do it as a visualization, guided uh-huh. visualization. Everybody's in their own space, right? Uh-huh. And it's like, what's the legacy I'm leaving for my children? That's yeah. kind of it's emotional. An it, it grabs you by the heart and mind sure. and spirit, and then. We work back to, OK, so what's the company doing and what what's your unique out of your constellation of gifts? What's the unique thing that you're giving to this mm-hmm. system? So there's that visioning that, that kind of captures us. And then later on, after we determine the gap, we're not there yet. You know, here's where we want to be. Here's where we are. Yes. Let's build a system to get us from here to there. Because like I was saying, silos won't do it. And then once you see that system, oh, it's going to take each of us here. I can't do it alone in manufacturing. I can't oh, do it alone in design. Sure. I can't now do it alone. In as, is as, an yeah, as one of the yeah. um, you know store managers, and then you see, oh, I'm essential to this team.
0: What actually came out at the end of the th- the third day was it some kind of commitment? Was it a planning process? What were the outcomes at the end of the three days? Yep.
2: Okay. So Amy's laughing. She knows what I'm going to say. So oh, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the kind of uh, signatures of of this work. Is that we we marry audacious, high in the sky vision with very practical, you know, on the ground, rubber meets the road, accountabilities, and it's it's a it's a model that's uh, deceptively simple, simple X Y Zs, which is defining thing X by time Y by person Z. Each one of those X Y's and Z's, they're not obvious. Yeah. For example, we say, "Okay, you know, we need to get our biggest uh, wholesale account. We're going to get our biggest wholesale account on board." Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. Nothing's going to happen until you determine X. What is specifically does that mean? Why? Who specifically is doing it? And Z when? And so we—that was a difficult, a challenging, but important process. Yeah. I remember. I still remember putting initials of folks in the room up there and hearing groans. <laughs> You mean they didn't volunteer. Well, they had. They were. They were. They were somewhat coerced. No, a lot of times we volunteer, but sometimes it's kind of like, well, what do you think, Amy, Candace? Who should it be? You know, call you out. So there was that. But then there was also this notion. I think we had an advance, but we needed to go through the offsite for people to want to commit. Was that there would be what later became called the sustainability design team. Mm-hmm. which was a, a microcosm, a subset of this group that represented one of the key aspects of the system. We had them all. Mm-hmm. So again, it was the system in the room in the design team. Okay. That makes sense. So the
0: design team was in place when you left the retreat?
2: Pretty much. Okay. I think we made invitations. We made requests. We knew how they were. They should be. Yeah. We knew who I wanted them to be.
0: Yeah. And then
2: I remember they came to my house because I have a little retreat center in our company, three months later, they all showed up. Um, and that's when, that's when it proved that this was real. It wasn't just yeah. an offsite, I think. Bye. What do you Bye. think, Amy? How did that, how was you know,
1: that? The thing that really stands out for me as far as com- accomplishment by the end of three days was we had our design team, um, the head of our design team at that time said, okay, we agree to um, wanting to work towards um, environmentally less impactful clothing, you know, um, and product. I want to work with you, social consciousness, to help us figure out how we're going to do that. Because they knew that it was going to mean they were going to have to source fabrics differently. They were going to have to design different fabrics differently, maybe design product differently. But they didn't know exactly how to go about that. And so by the end of the three days, there was an agreement that we were going to be working together to actually spell out what those steps would be to get there. And we did it. Um, But having that commitment. Um, from the senior leader of that team was extraordinarily meaningful and very rare um, in my world at that time. Yeah. Was there any conflict
2: getting to the shared vision? Because what happens is that I think the experience is that once you have, you have that shared vision, you, 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 you all have this aspirational experience, then it's, it's not too difficult to get to, yeah, we want to be the preeminent, fashion leader in environmental and social product, or, you know, it's a big, it's a big picture where the challenges could come is like specific metrics there, I think measurables. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's something else I wanted to to share that went in, came out of the offsite in addition to the vision and system. And then that sustainable design team was this notion around stretch goals. And what we, we have a little in jargon for that called the riverbanks and why it was the river banks is that it's a metaphor about in order for that river to flow you have to have the banks that's the boundaries that you won't go beyond oh and we're going to have zero toxicity metaphor. we're going to have zero to landfill or whatever that is those uh-huh. are the banks and then the rivers the, it's going to flow faster because of those solid banks to where we want to get okay. so the river banks became a became a metaphor and a, and a concept uh, around stretch goals and what was great was that the same designer that that Amy mentioned her name's Jackie and I don't think she'd mind cuz she told us she's happy to tell the story she had said that if she got stre- if they got stretch goals from social consciousness and from senior leadership that would be really helpful mm-hmm. because if it's murky and mushy you don't really know what to design to that's right but if we say zero to landfill 100% organic you know 100% recyclable whatever it is that we pick then we then it's just another design challenge
0: Yes, exactly. So
2: that was really something that they wanted to do. And then the nitty gritty about what specifically those were, I think that might have been somewhat of where the challenge came. But Amy, what do you, how was the process of defining the riverbanks?
1: Yeah, the process, so that is what happened after the offsite. We spent about the next year and a half, it took us about a year and a half to kind of get the riverbanks fleshed out. The riverbanks turned out to be about a hundred or so individual steps on both the environmental side and on the human rights side that would get us to more you know greater sustainability if you will I I use quotation marks because you know is anything really sustainable I think not but you know we can we can continue to get better Mm -hmm. and when we were working on those riverbanks we didn't just it wasn't just social consciousness saying okay here design here manufacturing here are your riverbanks but we would meet with them and uh, over Number of times and say so. What do you think? What is a realistic goal around organic? Just to take that example, it's really easy to understand. You know, we're currently at 20%. Let's say organic fiber um, in cotton. How far can we get by the year 2020? And maybe they'd say, I don't know, maybe 80 or 90%. We'd say, can we just say 100%? What if we aim for 100%? What would that? How would that feel to you? Well, okay. It's a stretch goal. We don't know if we can hundred percent get there, but we can try for it. It doesn't sound completely off the table. And that's how we did every single, so we had a a goal for every one of our um, top volume fibers. Mm -hmm. We had goals around the chemistry that was going into those fibers, the kind of dyes, the kind of finishes. We eventually had goals around water and carbon. Those took a little longer. And we also had General goals, it was hard to quantify, but we finally got there around worker well-being, worker uh, happiness, conscious business practices. These were much more, these required a little more nuance and um, we had to find some expertise outside the company to help us with those. But we got there and it was all in partnership with the individual teams that were be impacted because they'd be doing the work.
0: That was one of the things that I wondered about. The retreat, so so you had a wonderful experience at the retreat. You came out with some very concrete plans from the retreat and a design team. But you had a whole organization. I think you said you had how many people at the retreat? 20-some? 20, yeah. yeah. Okay, and you had 800 people to go back to. (laughs) So how did that work? I mean, were people invested from the beginning that was there a lot of convincing how did it become part of the dna of the culture amy i'm assuming that you were very integral in that process
2: two things one is uh because i have the evidence because it's still up in my retreat center up here in that first the second offsite with just the design team the sustainability design team in january of 2014 that group came up with eight big buckets of the riverbanks Okay. Foreign environmental and foreign social. So that's where Amy said we end up with 100. But the you could remember eight, you know, I can sure. still remember right. that, I think, materials, chemistry, carbon, water on the environmental side. And then on social side, as Amy was saying, and it was living wage, uh, worker happiness, worker voice and conscious business practices. So you had those big buckets. And then it was really, (laughs) it was, this is funny that military metaphors coming to me was so bizarre. I never do. But then it was like deploying it. Well, why? Or to switch metaphors, like the Russian dolls concept. Ah, You had had the head of design. She had that experience at the offsite. Vision, current reality, system, gap, filling in the XYZs. She took that to her team. right? So that there was a sustainable materials team. And that First River Bank around materials, and they just cranked it because mm-hmm. they know their work a lot better than any of us do around specific right. fibers. And so they went to work on that piece of it. And once they bought into 100 percent, it was like, OK, that another piece I want to share when Amy said, how about 100 percent instead of 70? Right. <laughs> if you go to 100, like I like to say 50 percent of 100 is a lot better than a 100 percent of 10. Right. Yes. So it's always having the stretch goal, but also when you make it 100 percent or zero, it requires the designers to do a paradigm shift. Yes. It's not enough to do just incremental change. That's right. right? we got to think this whole thing over again.
0: That's right.
2: So that's what we like to do. Say the stretch goals this is not going to be business as usual. We have to have a whole new a whole new program. <laughs>
0: yeah, really? So each person on the design team went back and did something with her own team. How did that work? How did what was that process like?
1: Yeah, so it was each person from their own team went back and worked. So it wasn't just design, but we had our manufacturing team, we had merchandising, we had business um, planning. Okay, so they were all. Yeah. So the leaders of each of those teams became part of the sustainability design team for one thing. So this was a key element because we would continue to get together as a small tight entity. For the next three years, so we got together once a month in person for a full day and once a week by phone for an hour. Oh. And just to keep checking in with each other, to um, support each other, to kind of um, talk about what was working well. Where did we where were things falling apart? What new ideas we have, etc. cetera. Keep keep each other accountable. Also, we kept having those XYZs. every time we had a meeting like that. Yeah, we had an X, Y, Z. What a list. wonderful,
0: simple, practical system. Just great.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so each person then had their own teams that they were, you know, guiding and leading, and then they had their own working groups. So we had working groups on the on the design side, you know, materials, chemistry, etc. We also had working groups in the supply chain side around transportation and costing. And those are the two I can think of off the top of my head. But the, and there was one just around metrics. Um, business planning worked a lot with metrics. You know, how are we going to know that this is actually having an impact on our on our business? How can we draw metrics from what's selling, what what do customers like, et cetera, so that we know that we're actually you know having some kind of um, positive impact out there, a positive effect out there. I wouldn't call it impact particularly, but so we can understand the relationship between the business and this work. Um, so. That is, you know, it started at the top with a few key people and then quickly fanned out because each of those people influenced a whole bunch of other people.
0: That's great. And so how long did it take for this to really become part of the DNA of the company? Was it a year? Was it two? Was it longer? I mean, what was that like?
1: first year, you know, we also had a few other offsites with other key people. We had a big offsite with sales and marketing teams. I remember that took us to the Garrison Institute. I remember that one. We went to Edith Macy. Anyway, that's your, sorry, I just went off. But we did have a few other, We so the point was we, we did bring more teams together to try to fan out and reach that 10% tipping point. And I don't know if we ever quite got exactly to that 10%, but we got enough people that the senior leadership team was completely bought in. Just about everybody in the company understood uh, what was going on. We made sure to have engagement, announcements, updates at all the key meetings, whether they were the retail store leader meetings, the company-wide meetings, the leadership forum meetings. There was always something about Vision 2020 or sustainability in there. Sometimes Sarah would join us and do some kind of an exercise. Sometimes we would just provide an update. There were many, many touch points throughout the next several years, and it was really within that first year that I would say that things ramped up enough to say oh, that it was filling out into the DNA. And nice. Sarah, I know you've been wanting to say something. Sorry. <laughs> Two
2: things, I guess. One is there was also like this entrepreneurial stuff that happened as Amy uh, was describing. There's um, one, of, one of the folks on the team who was project manager, Rebecca McGee, she came up with a notion called sustainability ambassadors, uh, which were people who throughout the company who um, got a word around Vision 2020, Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, but then they would get to go on a year-long program, which is a journey that Rebecca and some of her colleagues created. She's um, younger, which was great. And uh, bringing in her peers to do a deep dive um, into sustainability. It, they weren't able to be on the first offsite at one dollar, but now they were gonna get um, a lot of content and a lot of expertise and they went on and became leaders within the company. Like, okay, my program for ambassadors is gonna be to make this place uh, completely plastic-free, or my program is going to be to fix this facility, or whatever. But there was there were other little offshoots like healthy mushrooms <laughs> that popped oh, up yeah. on the landscape. Yeah. you know, uh, as a result of that, that helped move it into the DNA too. So it
0: sounds like you're talking a lot about culture. Did it affect the culture in other ways, in addition to the very specific targeted sustainability-related? metrics and goals that you had? Did it did the culture become more collaborative? Did it change in any way? Amy, what do you
1: think? You know, I don't know that this is going to answer your question directly, but I will say that along the way is when we, we first became B-certified as a company. Great. So yeah. that didn't happen until the very end of 2015, early 2016 for our first time to become certified as a B-corporation. And that was a massive shift for us because we hadn't really we never quantified how we were doing, you know, in terms of our our relationship to the environment, to people in our landscape, et cetera. And here we were able to now say we had a score and actually we were among this this elite group of companies that succeeded. And Sarah's firm um, Seed Systems is also a B Corporation, which gave us even, you know, it was even a happier connection that way. And then we became a, a New York State Benefit Corporation, which means that Legally, we are now required to report out on how we are benefiting not only our own bottom line, but also environmental issues and and social issues. So, culturally, did it change anything? We were already a highly collaborative company, we were already partially employee owned. We already have a culture of mutual support and mutual care. It's very familial in our company. So, I think that this reinforced that and gave us a new way to be accountable to each other.
0: To hear you talk about having that foundation, maybe that's what made it not easy, but easier to move quickly as you did, it sounds like.
1: It, well, and, and ironically though, it still took us what um, 17 or depending on how you look at it, 17 or 25 years to, to get there. Yes. So, um, I, you know, it was like having the culture, but also having that right, um, the right set of conditions in place. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. To make it happen,
2: yeah, like we
1: we're saying, fertile
2: soil and 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 um, the the positive perfect storm, yeah, know, of a leader that wants to do it and is dedicated, right. the culture that's there, and leaders like Amy and Candace that are ready to you know put their shoulder to the wheel, and right. then, you know you might say that the visionary and systems thinking process to go with it, and and some of the structures around the sustainability design team that's just you know steady. You're right, you know, we're gonna just keep the steady beat every right. month, every week. I wanted to mention something about the 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 systems work and the sustainability design team, and I think of it as kind of like an accordion, mm-hmm. you know, where you you have to. You, we brought the system in the room to Wandarma because in order to understand the whole picture of the company, we need everyone there, right? But yes. then to implement, we got to go back into our corners. I got to work with my expert that's, in fiber and I gotta work with my expert in manufacturing. But if we just go back to our corners, then we get siloed again. Right. So then we have to come back as a design team and we see the whole and we we get we hear from each other and what progress is being made, and that's cool. And then we understand, like, oh yeah, that's why I gotta get my business process changed because that's gonna impact the factories overseas. I forgot about that. Yes. So yes. so that's kind of accordion thing. Where you go back and forth. And um, that's a
0: lovely way to put it. A lovely way yeah, to put it. Thank you. Yeah. And then
2: also, the, the culture that we had that was of celebration within the sustainability design team. And to me, that's really important because we're never going to get to planet sustainability, right? It's a lifelong right. journey. Every day right. we breathe, we're still going to be working it. Right. So you've got to have fun along the way. Yeah. You have to, you have to champion your small victories.
0: Well, so, Sarah, you've worked with a lot of different kinds of companies you've worked with. I keep wondering, because I'm very interested in women, the, the ways mm-hmm. that women lead. Yeah. That is a major interest of mine. What, okay. what have you found that was different about your work with Eileen Fisher versus a company that had either more equal men and women or fewer women? Any differences? Or or do you think that there's really not anything unique
2: about a uh, 85% women. Um, I, well, I'll say it. I, th- I think in my career I've worked with something like around 60 enterprises. And Eileen is the only one that's majority woman, women. So, yeah. um, and, and, and yes, I, it's also Kathy it's been a, a big interest of mine too. Cause are these qualities about gender? You know, mm-hmm. women versus men, or they or or non-binary folks, or are they about yeah, right. uh, the feminine, and the masculine? You know, mm-hmm. the more you know, can we attribute qualities to one or the other? I definitely think when women are in leadership, there is um, kind of a qualitative difference. It's it certainly not 100% one way, 100% the other way. But if right. you did like a what's this kind of curve again called? You know this curve. I mean, um, <laughs> <the> middle middle I think it's different um the pieces that I notice are a tendency towards um you know towards a collaboration a tendency towards co-creativity listening leading with curiosity uh and it's again it's not that men don't do this or all men don't do this but I think if you looked at a women's culture there may be more of that uh and certainly at Eileen Fisher there is um and as Amy said, you know, if you go too far to the end of that spectrum, it can be a challenge. Like I use the metaphor of like a, 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 a plate and a knife, you know, a circle and a, and a straight edge. You know, there's yeah. a one focus that's all about make things happen without more, co- you know, collaborations, take the hill. And then there's a circle that's let's all be part of the decision together without any take the hill, and either of those two extremes aren't, aren't, aren't too helpful. Oh, so so I think Eileen Fisher was really strong on collaboration, co-creation, community, connectivity, listening, um, compassion. Uh, <laughs> on the first offside, I remember again, and I hadn't seen the situation before where there was a, one point in the, in the meeting where
1: people were feeding back about being burnt out, and Eileen said, you guys need to rest more. Yeah. One thing that we are notoriously not very good at as a company is making decisions. But actually, you know, that XYZ process and that kind of just want this idea wanted wanting to keep moving forward because we've got that target date of 2020, it allowed us and it forced us and it gave us structure to actually um, make decisions that were um, all aligned toward a common goal.
0: So it sharpened. The system yeah. sharpened
1: us oh that's a great way of saying
2: that yes it, it, and so i know it's kind of interesting because it's different than what you might think would emerge from a sustainability process uh I, as i'm thinking about that riverbanks metaphor it really i think it really did focus you might say also mm-hmm. the Island fisher culture in a certain um uh you know momentum building way yeah. like the river flows towards this aspiration and again to what that designer what jackie had said is like you know, give me, give me the boundaries, give me the metrics, right. give me the guideposts, and right. then we'll, we'll make concrete. it happen. And yeah. she hadn't had that before. Yeah. So a little different than, you know, some companies and what you might think. So that was wonderful.
0: The other thing that you brought up, briefly, and I didn't pursue it enough, um, is the whole thing about a movement in activism, corporate activism. And over the, and I don't know how many years, because I've only become aware more recently of what Eileen Fisher has done, the company and the individual, in terms of corporate activism, but it seems to me that there's a lot of it. And a lot of the companies, I shouldn't say a lot, some of the companies that I have been researching or involved with in one way or another, it seems more performative than it does real, that it's um, some of the companies are trying to attract millennial employees. They're trying to brand themselves a certain way and yet it's really so surface. What they're doing is so surface and I don't get that impression at all about Eileen Fisher. Could you say something about the activism part of this Amy and how that came about and
1: what that's like? That's an interesting way of asking the question. When I think of the word activism to me means being politically active. I probably, I don't think that's what you're implying here, but um, oh my God. yeah, no, that's okay. Um, so uh, the word that I hear most often used to describe Eileen Fisher, the person, Eileen Fisher, the company, um, and many of us individually inside the company is authentic. Ah, and and I, I don't know exactly how it, that comes through so clearly, but it is frequently used. And the one thing that I'll, there are a couple of things I'll say about that. One is um, I know for a fact, because I'm involved in this on the inside of the company, whenever we are getting ready to talk about something outside the company, whether it's the product, whether it's a, a belief we have about a, a recent action or you know some event in the news or um, you know any anything that we're doing, we always run it through kind of like the you know, the BS mill. Can we back this up? Is this statement that we're about to say actually true? And can we back it up with evidence in case we're called on it? You know, is there any, are there any loopholes in the statement? Is there anything that we are, mis- that we could be overlooking um, that could be, you know, misconstrued about this statement? Because we always want to be stating what is actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But the other side of it is we are also willing to talk about what isn't working. So, yeah, we'll go out there and talk about, OK, you know, this this garment is made out of recycled, blah, 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 or it's organic yeah. or, you know, it's made by artisans in this place. But um, we'll also sometimes we'll talk about the, the shortcomings, the things that we weren't able to accomplish. And um, most often you'll see those stories on our website, or sometimes in, in you know, media interviews Um We didn't achieve every single goal we wanted to uh, for Vision 2020, for example. Um, Many of them were stretch goals. And also, the economy kind of started to take a dive right towards the end there, and and we had to make some tough choices. Um, And we're never, we're always willing to talk about that because we believe there's something to be learned from the challenges and the difficulties. Um, And I think that that all just rolls up into this idea of authenticity. Um, people just believe us for the most part. Obviously, there are some exceptions here and
0: there. Yeah, that. Of um, course. But so. still, yeah, authenticity is a good word for it. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Sarah, did you want to add to that? You've been watching this company, working with this company for yeah. all these years. How are you feeling about it at this
2: point? I, you know, I would just support what Amy said and say that as an outsider, very rigorous standards around authenticity rigorous to the point where I would say, you know, you guys, if you're 98% there, it's okay to say that you're 98%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, mean, I've, uh, Shona, who's one of Amy's um, uh, leader in environmental sustainability and now social consciousness, she's uh, very strict and rigorous around, you know, this has to be truth, you know, A- and again, willing to share vulnerability, which is, which is wonderful, because people learn from that. It invites yes. people in. Um, And in terms of of the activism, you know, Amy and Eileen would talk about business
1: as a movement, right? Didn't we mention that yet? Eileen thinks of business as a movement. We were one of the first companies ever to start taking back our own clothing, gently used clothing from our customers and employees. We started doing it in 2009 before it was really popular, trendy to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've set up a whole internal um, pipeline and, and system, if you will, to, um, to reuse or repurpose the clothing that we take back. A gift that Eileen Fisher
2: gave to the world through the B Corp community, which was like five years into this process and not directly related, but I think related because of the relationships that we have, is that with Eileen Fisher and myself and a few other people, Stephanie Ryan from B Corp, we launched the first ever B Corp Women CEOs Gathering at Eileen Fisher's site, which I facilitated and Eileen blessed and she came and Amy was there and a bunch of other folks and then roughly 100 women CEOs from other B Corps talking about sustainability and what can we all do together that none of us can do alone. And that network, I think that's how we met you, how we met yes. you, Kathy. That yes, network has right. grown also. That is how um, so we come back around because that's now three years old and that's grown from that hundred women to about 700. And there's yeah. a way that I, th- I like to think of concentric circles, you know, the individuals at that offsite, the design team as a team, Eileen Fisher as a company, and then Eileen Fisher as a company's influence on all these other companies. All right.
0: This is so much fun to talk with both of you, and I'm sure that the people listening to the podcast are going to wonder what kind of advice you have for them, the entrepreneurs, the ones or the companies that are already established that are thinking they would like to go down a similar path. What kind of, I'm sure you've learned along the way, many, many things. So would each of you like to say a few things to the audience about what they should be aware of or what they should think about, things they should do,
1: shouldn't do? I really think it's important to know what your North Star is. What is the ultimate vision you have for yourself in relation to this planet? And no vision is too audacious to use Sarah's word. But on top of that, you also need transparency. You need to understand where your stuff is coming from. That's not a small feat. Just understanding where it comes from, where was the cotton grown, under what conditions, by whom, and then where was it transformed along the way into this final product? All of that will give you so much information from which then to build up your goals and your steps toward that that vision.
0: That's great, great advice. How about you, Sarah? From your perspective, what advice would you give?
2: It's funny because I don't usually start with advice; I usually start with questions. If you were coming to me, and I would pretty much say what Amy said is like, okay, what do you want to create in this world? What's you know, what's your north star? What's your audacious piece? What uh, what's the legacy you want to leave for your kids or theirs? And then go through this kind of whole process we've been talking about. Okay, wow. who are the system of players that are going to make that happen? Let's get them together. And there are lots of other questions I would ask. I do think there's something about that. I call it tracking through inquiry. There's there's a humility to it, which is, I don't have the answer for you. I have my own aspirations for the planet and I have
0: right. practices
2: that have that have worked and that have been useful. And it's really going to be you know, it's gonna kind of filter through the unique constellation of you and your company, and that's where we have to inquire uh yeah. to what you wanna have happen. And then- it's
0: interesting to hear you talk about it through the a theme that seems to have gone through the entire conversation today is this. Individual values and individual transformation as part of the bigger transformation and the overlay of individual values with the company values. And it it seems that that's where we started, that's where we're ending up. It's a matter of those values coinciding, those values coming together in a way that creates a movement. And that's very interesting to me, very unique, I think, in terms of what I'm hearing about this company.
1: You know, if you don't do that, then you can't be authentic in this work. How can you go to work, I mean, with one set of values and leave them at home and then do something different here? It's just not gonna land in the right place. You're not gonna believe in it. You're not gonna be able to convince others or bring people along. It has to come from here.
2: Authentic. From the, I call it, like to call it uh, systems change from the inside out or right. radical transformation or innovation from the inside out. Um, you know, the pebble in the pond ripples me, yeah. we, world. I don't know who came up with that, but it's a good way to remember it. Me, it we, is, world. it is. And Kathy, when you came to that, uh, Eileen Fisher, the We the Change gathering, we do it yeah. along those lines too. Yes, yeah. so yeah, very much so. And it doesn't matter if you think about that as a system, me, we, world, it doesn't matter where you start. Whether you start with the world, you know, the big company, you start with the we, the team, you start with the individual,
0: yes, Amy.
2: Um, but eventually, you're going to get to all three levels.
0: Yeah, yeah. To be effective. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Culture Cafe. If you liked what you heard, connect with us at millerconsultants.com. You can access the show notes and receive our free materials. See you next episode.